Hello and welcome to Chronic Media Consumption, where I am Kelly. And I'm still Michelle. And today we are going to be talking about a very interesting topic. The male gaze versus the female gaze in film, TV, and fan fiction. And when we say gaze, we mean G-A-Z-E, not G-A-Y-S. Though the G-A-Y-S also does come in play sometimes. <laughs> it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> it's a really interesting topic that has been gaining a lot more traction. I mean, it started out just as basically a, a film theory term to try to define these differences because filmmakers weren't keeping the female gaze in mind when they were making stuff. Often they would stumble into it by mistake. And then they're like, why is this so popular with the ladies? Oh, man. And and the best, best way to kind of dive into it is to first define what the difference is mm-hmm. between the male gaze and female gaze. Predominantly in filmmaking, because there is a huge and overwhelming majority of men in producer roles, director roles, writer roles in Hollywood, almost all film and TV tends to come from a male gaze. Predominantly, that means that we are seeing stories about power, power dynamics 100%. Yeah, power Power fantasies. Exactly. Power over oneself, over their jobs, over their partners, over the world as a whole. So that's why these characters come out and they're usually very strong, very, very potent, wealthy. The main characters are usually male and enacting some sort of power fantasy. All other characters either start with power over them that they must then steal or take back, or are ones that they already have power over and are there merely to support their narrative without any thought about themselves. The male characters with power are shown as strong, wealthy, confident, and even boastful. And male characters without power are seen as weak, emotional, and to be pitied. The female characters in these stories are usually hypersexualized, especially if they have power. It's usually the power of their sexual attractiveness. But when they aren't sexualized, then they're there to serve the male character's plot, their needs, or sacrifice themselves to allow male character growth. Yep, that last bit right there is such a huge component. It's mm-hmm. where a female character's worth is only by being assaulted or dying in some way that's going to make the male character motivated to take revenge or to get become a better person or have like if character growth is dependent upon the the tragedy of a female character, that's that's not good writing (laughs) exactly yeah it's not it's not good at all and so the male gaze is what we almost always see in most films and become the default yeah we're starting to finally pull away from that and pull into the female gaze i want to make a point on that or it's not a requirement that the male gaze is coming from a point of view of a male director or producer or anybody. Female right. directors and producers can do the exact same thing. And so not every movie done by them is going to fit in the, the female gaze category. Some Sometimes people kind of be like, oh, well, then that just means a movie made by a woman. No, no. Yeah, no. That is the biggest key point that we have to emphasize here is that there can be films with the male gaze 
written and directed by women and there can be films done with a female gaze that are written and directed by men and we will definitely get into that because i actually have two examples of female gaze films that were directed by men let's dissect the male gaze first and then we will get into the female gaze the example that i pulled today was iron man 2 specifically the character of Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow, played by Scarlett Johansson. This is the first time that we see her in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and she is number one in a secretary role, which is literally serving Tony Stark. She is always sexualized. She's in very sexy costumes the entire time. Her hair is long and flowing, never pulled back into a ponytail, a bun, or anything like that. It is always long and flowing to the point where it's like, almost in her face which is a very very sexual thing to do like that's one of the biggest things that annoys me when i see superhero movies or (laughs) tv shows with cops with women as cops or detectives and everything and they get into these fights and things and they have their hair long and loose and there's like like, (laughs) yeah it's always in their face and i'm like first of all i understand that if you're switching between an actor and their stunt double the wig helps with this to have the hair flowing into the face to obscure their face so that you don't see that oh that's not scarlett johansson fine i get it but in reality when a woman is in a fight she's gonna want her hair back so that she can see unobstructed and not get blindsided because the hair got into her face or it got stuck in her mouth or she can't breathe or whatever yeah i I think Natasha is an interesting uh, choice because she actively uses the male gaze as a weapon. She's intentionally doing things to not be assumed capable to slip under the radar and uses it as a tool of the trade. But they definitely went a little overboard in some aspects with that movie. Well, yeah. Like it, her her using that male gaze was more emphasized, I think, in the Avengers movie. Like right when we see her being introduced in the Avengers, yeah, the way she's seen as this helpless woman, she's tied to a chair. Oh no, I don't understand. Why are you killing me? Ah! And then she gets on the phone and says, "No, you don't understand. He's like, he's giving me everything. Like, I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not to give her everything. So." Like that, that is perfect. But in Iron Man 2, she was not used that way. She was set dressing almost. She was a punchline. She was used for punchlines. She gets into the, the boxing ring and punches Happy. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's a punchline. It's like, oh, look, she can handle herself. But, you know, still, she's super hot. She has barely any lines in that movie. I think, I think most of her lines are only in replies to other characters throughout the most part. Oh, she has that whole bit when she kind of takes over with Hammer and all that. But yeah, it's an interesting situation because they are intentionally leveraging the male gaze. It's a little harder to separate. Mm -hmm. And she's a spy and they are... I I have so many issues with that movie, even though I like the movie, because they're using Tony Stark's downward spiral and his issues and they're manipulating him just so they can have him in their team and have the be- the financial backing and ability in Iron Man. And 
the whole, you know, Iron Man, yes, Tony Stark not recommended and all of that fun stuff. So that's totally unrelated, but it definitely flavors my interpretation of Natasha. <laughs> and and people are like, oh, well, she was just like a spy and she was doing her job. And I was like, she was very awful. <laughs> <laughs> the the skin suit is the part that really got me when she gets in there yeah. in in any she, of those scenes. Oh my goodness! When she like flies down the hallway and she gets into yeah. her traditionally female superhero pose, yeah, and like she's covered head to toe in basically latex. Yep. Either latex or spandex, maybe a combination. Is this supposed to defend you if you get punched? Like it's. Tissue like if paper. somebody comes up exactly there's no protection in that suit it's literally just covering for modesty purposes and even then only just it leaves very little to the imagination and yes. i will say scarlett johansson looks gorgeous but yes, she is a fantastic looking woman fantastic she has fantastic talent too yeah but oomph. And mm-hmm. it, like, like, let's bring into the fact that the poster, the poster for Iron Man 2, I am looking at it right now. You've got, you know, you've got Tony Stark, you've got Rhodey, you've got even Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper kind of sort of in the background, right? All of them are seen from chest up. And then you've got Scarlett Johansson off to the left, and she's in her skin tight suit, booty, booty, looking booty. over her shoulder. <laughs> And her booty is very visible. And it's like, why is she, why, why is everybody shown in these like power poses? Like I'm wealthy, I'm powerful, I am a superhero. And then Natasha's like, yeah, but my butt is amazing. <laughs> Look at my ass. Oh my God. <laughs> that, Don't you want um, me? <laughs> that ties so well into the, the Hawkeye initiative. Listeners may already be familiar with this, but there was a, initiative for pointing out how ridiculous the comic book covers and movie covers are for female versus male characters particularly in the mcu but in like all other ones and so to highlight this they have replaced many of those female characters with hawkeye and he's wearing the skimpy outfits and doing the insane anatomically impossible poses. Yep. <laughs> and it just highlights how silly these things are. And <laughs> they're amazing. I think we were chatting earlier about the Avengers one where they replaced all the male characters and Hulk is just grabbing his tush for some reason. He like, is, is, and it's hilarious. What is this? <laughs> And it's got some amazing images that people have come up with, but it really does show that the expectation and the anatomical reality is not reflected in many of these female characters and female roles. Like, many of these female characters as they're drawn, I'm like, do they have internal organs? I don't, oh God. I don't think they do. <laughs> It's like, oh, I'm trying to find the image that I found yesterday when looking through this. But it's like the way that they twist. Like, if we look back into the corsets that were used to slim down women in the, the oh, goodness, the 17, 1800s, um, early 1900s. 
like those things slimmed waists down to the point where organs shifted upwards and downwards. And when we see these people, these women portrayed in these weird positions where they're twisting in such a way that their shoulders are now perpendicular with their hips. It's like they don't they can't have internal organs because my my stomach doesn't work that way. I get I'm not I have I am not in any way in the type of shape that Scarlett Johansson or any of these superhero characters are, but still, if I were flexible, I still wouldn't be able to do that. Nope. It's great how they're able to do these impossible arching moves and I've watched some of these character uh, moves and I'm just like, I'm cramping up just looking at you. Like, how is your, doesn't your back hurt? How are your legs doing that? But that is a big point between the male and female gaze is the female gaze humanizes people and puts them in a context of reality. Male gaze is a fantasy, fantasy for the man, fantasy for the woman. And it also takes away a lot of the, human factor the agency for any of them the the male characters don't have as much depth they're they're very much a surface level character and then the female characters if they have any depth (laughs) other than a reflection (laughs) they, they don't explore it And there's a lot of assumptions that are made. And this makes me think of like the patriarchy and how a lot of people are like, well, men can't cry. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's the patriarchy. That's, that is not that you men did that to men. Like that's a thing that their expectations put on them. And they're saying men aren't capable of deeper emotion or empathy. Men aren't capable of having respect for these others or or seeing other people as human, which is not true at all. We absolutely know men can and men do. It's just that they have these societal norms that are put in place. They're enhanced and reinforced with media like these. So it's, it's always interesting when they have the the separation of, you know, oh, well, this is just like a power fantasy. Some people watching that power fantasy are like, oh, this is what I should aspire to. Yeah. No, please mm-hmm. don't. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's let's actually let's go back to Iron Man 2 with like Tony Stark. Tony Stark is the superhero. He is the main character. He is the one that we are supposed to be idolizing in this film Mm -hmm. where he's just constantly getting drunk and peeing in his suit and like just literally having literally having a breakdown. His PTSD is handled in an interesting method and he doesn't have coping skills. He never had those. And he's, been self-medicating since he was like in college which he was 15 when he was called in college doing going to MIT when he met Rhodey so like he's never really had a healthy lifestyle but he has the glitz and glam on the outside that makes people think oh he has a superhero on his shoulder on his um you know arm every weekend he's out and about he is impressed everyone wants to be him it was like I think what's really interesting in the Marvel movies Without them really intending to do this, because I don't think this was a strategy, they because they were responding to the the story and the fans, we actually see Tony grow up, not because yeah. he 
you know, had to face these challengers. It was, he changed the venue he was in. So the world he was in, he was literally on autopilot. He didn't have to think about anything. He just did what he was told to do, basically. And he was just going through the expectations. And he finally starts realizing, what do I actually want out of life? And taking responsibility for things and not just being a victim of circumstance. Yeah. His arc is actually really cool. A lot of the a lot of the superheroes arcs in the Marvel Cinematic Universe specifically are very interesting. Mm-hmm. They're they're starting to break them down into more human stories and less they're t- pulling away a little bit from the power fantasy. They're still telling traditional superhero stories in like good triumphing over evil blah 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 and this is not saying that i i have anything against the marvel cinematic universe i am 100 percent a fan but in endgame each of the main superheroes that we see that were left basically the originals were representing stages of grieving mm-hmm each one of them was was representing a different stage of grieving you've got denial acceptance depression bargaining yeah you've got all all five of them are represented in all of those those characters and it's really interesting to see that in a film that is traditionally in a film type that is traditionally like oh i'm a i'm a big muscly man in a costume I will make sure that no bad ever happens in this city. Raw. Repress, repress, deny. Exactly. Batman. Oh my God, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and I think another important distinction is that I am, we're both very big fans of comic books, MCU, all of that fun stuff. Yes. But that doesn't mean you can't criticize things. Like there are some yes. dumb things they've done in the MCU that I'm just like, why did you do that? You entirely devalued their entire character arc that you've been building yes. to. What the hell was this? Why? What? No. <laughs> Why that person? Why did you have to do that person? Why that joke? Why? Mm-hmm. The fact the fact that everybody was thinking that Fat Thor was a punchline says more about society than it does about the filmmakers because the filmmakers were not technically using it as a full-on punchline yes some of the characters in it were calling him like lebowski and all of that stuff and really they had a they had a few more jokes in there than they necessarily needed to about it but it still was actually a clear sign of like this was him processing he lost everything he he believed that he was no longer worthy Mm mm-hmm he fell into a deep, deep, deep depression, depression, which is why you see him with the long, grown-out beard, the big belly, the not caring about how he looks, how he acts. He literally has lost everything that made him the great and powerful Thor, you know? And when he goes to Asgard, when he goes back in time to go to Asgard and tries to summon Mjolnir and Mjolnir comes to him he goes oh my god I am still worthy and he starts to come back out of his depression it's still going to take him some time but that was important to point out that he is depressed he didn't just let go for the sake of letting go he is going through some emotional trauma and honestly I can say one of my favorite scenes was when they did that whole transformation he 
does the slam and his whole outfit changes like it does normally. And he stayed the same size and his beard was braided and he was still big. And that was him as Thor. I knew that they absolutely could have transformed him back into just like sleek, gorgeous Chris Hemsworth and be like this, you know, oh yeah, everything's magically cured now. Ha ha, I'm no longer depressed. No. And they kept that. I was like, respect. That was one of my favorite bits. Yeah, it really showed that he accepted what he was at the moment. Yes. And was able to then progress. Yeah. Oh, see? Tangent. Subverting the male gaze. Yes. Yes. I love that. And actually, thinking about the male gaze, you were mentioning like directors and producers mostly being male. One of the other interesting factors is a lot of films would not be what they are without editors, the cutting room floor. And many of the editors are female. Yep. And so they're going in there going, you know, frame by frame, putting this film together. And I think Pat Oswald is the one who is going on about how men are like just shooting all their film, just shooting it all out. And they're like, oh man, I just made this amazing movie. And it's like 18 hours of just nonsense. And then (laughs) the editor has to go in and be like, oh God, this is so sticky. And what is that? Okay, I'm going (laughs) to just put this together, I guess. And well, this kind of makes sense. (laughs) Exactly. And they clean it up and they're like, I guess we're going to turn this into a baby. Maybe. Here, how about this? It's it got a lazy eye, but but it tells a story. Oh God, right? It's, it's limping a little bit, but we'll get it where it needs to go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, and I, it's interesting with the the intention of the film versus what's actually recorded. I'm always so fascinated by how much the actors and every, how many things are are created for a film versus what actually makes it to the silver screen. Seeing so many deleted scenes Mm -hmm. when you get those, when you get those DVDs with the special features Mm -hmm. and you get all of the deleted scenes and you wonder why wasn't that put in? And then you're like, why did this actually get filmed in the first place? (laughs) There, there are so many things that get filmed in, in movies and TV that never see the light of day until they get that wonderful special edition box set. And those deleted scenes, while in the moment they're like, oh yeah, this was really important for this particular this particular character's growth. And then you're like, actually, no, it doesn't. There is no growth in this. This is pointless. This is just used for giggles and it's not necessarily. And by the way, our runtime is already well over two hours. Let's cut this down a little bit. Well, what, but, are, what are some of the other movies you had that were like more on the female gaze side? So with the female gaze, I kind of boiled it down to internal struggles, emotion, what needs to be done to be satisfied, happy, self-accepting, what they need to do to survive rather than to gain power over anything. The male gaze is about the main character and how other people serve him. The female gaze is about the main character and how everyone else also has their own stories they're fully developed characters they have stories of their own that are being told and sometimes the main character is not the main character of those stories so the movies that i pulled one of the first ones of course is where the heart is nova lee is the main character of this story she is the hero she is the protagonist you see 
the struggles of of Novali, as well as all of her friends, all of the people that are surrounding her. They become well-rounded people. We follow Willie Jack. We find out what happens to him. He's not a, a, a footnote, you know. In her relationship with Sister Thelma, we find out what happens with her. With Lexi, we follow her as well. And you see, this girl is surrounded by people who care about her. These people who show her love in all kinds of ways. Family, friend, romantic. They are there to help support her. They trust her. She trusts them. So she finds love. She finds a career. She finds a home. She finds happiness for her and her daughter. She helps out her friends and everything starts looking up. In the same respect, we see the foil for her story. We follow Willie Jack Pickens, her boyfriend, his story after he abandoned her. And he was just concentrating on what he needed at that moment. I'm going to get mine. He gets put in prison for a couple of years. He ends up writing a song and becomes a one-hit wonder. Billy Shadow. (laughs) (laughs) What What a name. He gets dropped by his agent, ends up living a life of drinking and drugs and who knows what else. And then eventually gets hit by a train and loses his legs. So you literally see the difference between the two of them willie jack is constantly out for himself and ends up crippled and alone and nova lee is worried about you know pleasing others and raising her child and trying to to survive and attain a little bit of happiness for herself she doesn't have huge ambitions and what ends up happening is she finds a family she finds happiness. It shows the difference between selfishness and survival. And I just thought that the, I I love that movie. I've loved that movie since I first saw it. I think part of that isn't just the female gaze, male gaze, but also that this was a pretty true adaptation of a novel. It definitely has more of the feel of a book to just a movie because you have a lot more opportunity to explore the depth of characters and go back Mm -hmm. and forth from like one chapter is this character this chapter is this character and they did a surprisingly good job in in adapting it and making it feel like they got so much information in there and it it felt like it could have been a much longer film and they managed to just keep it tight and condensed yeah, that movie, I, I think this film is is great and a fantastic example of the female gaze, specifically because all of the major characters have their own stories. They are well-rounded. You see their progression, their own plot arcs, and how everyone kind of comes together as a family. They support each other, not just one person being supported by everyone else. That ties into another one that I have or just like in general all of the the films I have but the female gaze side of it is character arcs that are actualized and are not at the expense of others Mm -hmm. so a few of the films that I always think of whenever I think of female gaze it just Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Everything oh, he's Brendan in. Fraser. So many things he was in in the 90s, let's be fair, yeah. are 
are 100% perfect. Yeah. So like Blast from the Past, that is one that is a huge opportunity where you're, you're seeing the interpretation of that common trope, the born, born sexy yesterday that they often use for women. You think Fifth Element where we got Lilu Dallas. We, there's so many other examples, but that's like the main one and then for the first time we're really seeing the innocent male who's coming from like a bygone era who doesn't have any worldly context and is going through the world and then the female character is the one who's world weary and streetwise and teaching him how the world really works and being able to do this from a point of view that isn't hypersexualized because he doesn't have a context for that and so they're able to develop their relationship relationship and get to know each other. He has this immediate romantic connection because that's what he expects the world to be like and is able to grow, learn, and become aware, self-aware and and hit his goals. Then, you know, him present in The Mummy, which I mean, to be fair, that's basically like every person who was growing up in the 90s, like they're awakening that film. Yes, so much. It's just I remember the seeing, entire cast. I remember seeing that movie in theaters. And as far as like everybody in that movie was so beautiful, so pretty. It's, I think that it's one of those great examples that it could have been just this meathead action movie. And I don't think it would have had the value and the impact that it did because Mm. they took the time for each of these characters to have a fully developed personality and individual character arc and goals. And they weren't just all there to support Brendan Fraser going around and, you know, O'Connell, he, he wasn't this great flawless you should achieve strive to be exactly like him you see that he is jaded and he's seen some crap he's not in a good position like when they first meet him and he's in the jail long hair and dirty he had a very good time (laughs) apparently So they they have those bits and then you know Evie she could have been this perfect little fantasy librarian who just looks nice and is is there to just be the eye candy but we have right off the bat multiple things where she's very intelligent but she doesn't have a lot of the world experience she is clumsy and it's not just something where they're like oh yeah this character she's so pretty but doesn't know it and she's clumsy that drives me crazy in a lot of the Pratt falls yeah Yeah. we don't want we hate the Pratt fall trope this woman was like nope she's in the process of doing something she wanted to do it at that very moment and in doing so (laughs) she screwed up (laughs) and like you see that whole arc of just who she is because of that she's like oh what are you doing over here and you know being playful talking to her books entertaining herself being fine on her own and then being like oh i'll just do that she could have walked down the ladder turned the ladder put it on the other bookshelf climb back up the ladder put it there but no she wanted to do the shortcut 
and then she faced the consequences. And that's another piece that I think is also interesting in what I would term more the female gaze type movies. There's more consequences. The The male gaze consequences are usually explosions. All the bad guys are dead. You go off in the sunset. You kiss the girl. Da, 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 da. They don't really mm-hmm. face consequences. I think of some films that could have been more female gaze, male gaze, and maybe like a sequel would show you that it actually has consequences. But you're like, I think one of the films Rush Hour with Jackie Chan and, oh gosh, I'm blanking on his name. Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. Ah, thank you. Another callback to Fifth Element. Everything is related to (laughs) Fifth Element. Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan going through. That is something that in the real world, if two dudes were doing a buddy cop thing and they were just beating up people all over doing car chases, the amount of carnage and paperwork and everything that would be following that. But of course, in that type of fantasy film, you don't have any of those aspects of reality put into that. There's there's none of those callbacks of, oh yeah, you're not going to have a job or yeah you're going to be in jail for that i don't care if you were saving some person's daughter like that you have no jurisdiction you're a, a foreign national who's just beating up people in in chinatown like what <laughs> i mean yeah the rush hour falls into the lethal weapon complex mm-hmm. my mom watched lethal weapon movies when i was a kid during like when she was doing laundry and whatnot and so i saw that stuff i probably shouldn't have now that i think about it as a young kid <laughs> seeing all of that stuff i probably there's a lot of stuff that i saw as a child that i really probably shouldn't have i was exposed to a lot of random shit but watching those as kids i'm like oh yeah you know cops bing bang boom you know big fighting bad guys rah 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 and then as an adult, I was like, you know what? I should actually sit down and watch these and see what they're all about. Because a lot of people really revere mm-hmm. those movies. And I sat and I watched all four of them. <laughs> and I went, what in the hell is happening? None of this is real. Like, this is this cannot happen. There's so much stuff as soon as like the first major thing went down in the very first movie, I was like the amount of paperwork <laughs> and like people suing the the state, yep. like just holy shit! Just and and then they keep doing it every single movie. Just and ubiquitous like, explosions and you know, oh, we're gonna just steal this car. You know, like I'm every time I see any of those movies where a car gets stolen, I'm like dude, a guy, like, worked really hard to get that parking spot. And you just, you just took his car. Like, what about the the cops that are like, hey, I'm a cop, I have to commandeer this vehicle? I'm like, excuse the fuck not. No, right? (laughs) And I mean, Die Hard is another one where, like, I love Die Hard. For me, Die Hard is a Christmas film. I am obsessed with all of those. I enjoy basically every one of them a few of them are a little weaker than others but i love all of them live free die hard i hate die hard too i I can't say i hate it i don't like it as much but i don't hate it it's a good exact it's a a freaking photocopy of die hard one but in an airport and i just i cannot stand the fact they literally just copy pasted but (laughs) they had some really interesting they had some really interesting stuff at the time. Nobody yeah. was thinking about the fact that they were automating this stuff, and a plane could literally crash on the ground because the the computer thought the ground was a hundred feet lower. Like, 
Yeah, I like that that I that idea. Like some of the stuff in it is fine, but the oh, I'm I totally was, fine with was the copy paste. They you even just... they even had the black cop, yes, <laughs> who was the stand-in for Reggie. Oh God, what is his name? Hmm. Reginald Johnson, I think his name is. Well, I I liked it. You have to just know what you're getting into. But so those are the films where those aren't even the male gaze. Those are so extreme because those are just you go in and you literally have to turn off part of your brain <laughs> you can't expect mm. you know great prose and in-depth details and things like that but it does have this single hero or buddy cop hero situation that is supposed to come in and save the day and they aren't as guilty as some other films that we have that are more like straight up the male gaze i think a lot of films that have like Tom Cruise, films that have Jason Statham, <laughs> the, those types of ones usually end up being like, oh yeah, like this is, this is the guy. He's the one. You should try to be him. Um, He's the only person capable of saving this particular group of people at this particular moment. Yeah, and there's a separation from the real world and this little microcosm that they're working on because. As a portion of, of being part of a film, you have to have a setting that is created. But if you actually take a time to like step back and think, how does that setting compare to the rest of the world? They aren't detached and everything else would be interacting, but they can't take into all account all of those things because that would just bog down the film and it would make it nearly unwatchable. But as a audience member, I enjoy kind of like, piecing things together and being like okay so this is going on what if there was like a tour group who is just like in this building while this is happening what would happen to them <laughs> just coming up with those those different scenarios which is part I'm of why i like fan fiction too. i'm literally thinking about gremlins too yeah. now <laughs> because first of all gremlins was a, a spoof movie mm-hmm that is 100 what it was but it's still an interesting movie in its own right Gremlins 2 comes out and it's making fun of Gremlins 1. <laughs> and it did it so well. <laughs> they, had, they had a tour group in that building at the time of the Gremlin siege, right? <laughs> You're seeing stuff like that. That is that is so oh, that needs to be done more because I would love to see like the, the little interactions of the people sitting there going like I don't understand. I just I just wanted to come here. I was on a tour. I'm on vacation. Like, what am I gonna tell my boss? Like if I end up, if I end up like getting stuck here, like how do I tell my family <laughs> that my vacation to New York City like ended up in me getting attacked by little tiny monsters that <laughs> mutate? Like how do you how do you explain that? <laughs> you can't. Uh, oh, I think we do need more films that are like that. I really would love to see more that have that breaking the third, the fourth wall and having the, the realization of, of how the rest of the world would be. We have the, the superhero TV show that was, I think canceled after um, pretty soon. It was the, the, regular regular i don't know regulars I'll, I'll look it up again but the the venue that we have now in response to that is fan fiction and i know you don't go too hard into that i have over 300 tabs right now open for various fan fictions in various <laughs> fandoms 
I, I've, I've unfortunately, if we get into fan fiction for just briefly, in college I had to do a, let's just say I had to research some fan fiction for a website I was building. And because of that, I got burned really bad by fan fiction. You decided which to made go. Me... You decided to go into the like the the deep end, which I mean, people usually dip I their mean... toe in. You you like read the whole thing. I'm like, girl, I would have turned. No, no, back. no, 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 no. I didn't read the whole okay. thing. That's the problem. It's like literally, I I was in. It was when fan fiction was really starting to become a big thing, and I was trying to build a website for my my computer class, my my HTML whatever class. And I was trying to build a website saying, if you've never interacted with fan fiction, here's what you should know. Here's examples of good fan fictions. Here's some examples of bad fan fictions. Here's a lexicon of words that you should know. And in doing so, I tried to look up some examples of good and bad fan fiction by doing some research and found a couple that have scarred me. <laughs> I, I've been scarred so Harry much. Potter I, movies. I've been scarred so much. I have calluses. I don't even notice anymore. <laughs> Oh no, nope, nope. The wound is still fresh for me. <laughs> you got If you gotta... I see anything that says Harry Potter and then it has a little warning Engorgio. that says there will be sexual content, I'm like, nope, I'm good. I'm out. I'm not gonna read it. Nope, nope, nope. Well can't do it. I, I I really like utilizing fan fiction as a way to explore characters and I feel that it's been a tool that's really added to that female gaze tonality of humanizing people. I have really changed some of my views of characters and stories and TV shows, movies that when I first watched it, I was like, man, I don't like this person. But then somebody else wrote a fan fiction that dissected their motivations and their character and looked at these tiny little things that the actor did and setting cues and was able to form a very in-character, believable story that just adds so much depth. And a great example of this is Supernatural. There is so much fan fiction out there. And it's, I mean... Largely, it, I can't even say the large body of it is good. I would say, like, there's a lot of trash out there. But there's a lot of good. And the fans have done such a good job of dissecting and building the fanon world that is, in some ways, competing with the canon of the actual story that the writers in later seasons, you can absolutely tell some of these writers are aware of what's going on in fan fiction. And they're literally being like, no, we don't want to humanize this character. No, we don't want to make this a thing. We're going to go the opposite direction. Oh, you want Bobby to come back? No, we're going to bring Mary back. Oh, and we're also going to make oh. her a bitch. Oh, great. Awesome. Good choices. Good choices, writers. Mm. So then we, we turn to fan fiction to be able to add to this somehow the writers think that we are okay with john winchester and as a fandom everyone hates him and they have so many issues with him and they have so many very well thought out reasons to dislike him but you can literally look at the behavior of his sons and see that the way they were treated was very different and the way they responded to that treatment was very different and dean being the good little soldier people are like oh yeah he's a tough guy ladies man da, da, da. and you're like no 
that is trauma. And he also is the one who is the responsible parent for his brother left with who knows how much cash whenever his dad would go on one of his hunts trying to find the yellow eye demon probably get drunk and pass out somewhere not even think about his kids so then dean is sitting there struggling and i mean depending on how deep we want to get into these things i have like the the fandom world is basically saying well if he was hustling pool to try to be able to get money what else was he hustling Mm-hmm. and oh. being able to get into those places where he was trying to protect his brother from the reality of the world. So his brother genuinely doesn't see Dean as having ever struggled. He's like, he was able to do everything. He he was the exact son that our father wanted, and it was natural for him. He never had to see the the realities. He never had his dreams crushed because he doesn't even think his brother has dreams other than just doing what he does. And that is both beautiful and messed up. But at the same time, but at the same time what is what is John Winchester always concern himself with? Like he's always saying, like, oh, don't don't let this pull over on Sammy. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Dean will be the one that helps take care of all of this stuff this stuff. And he babies Sam. Absolutely. Because so, he wants Sam to be able to have that life because Sam was the baby and yeah. his mother died protecting him and all of that. So they, even though he fights against Sam and Sam, he doesn't understand Sam. He never has because Dean adjust, adjusted to the world out of necessity. Sam fought against it because he was protected and he didn't have the same context as the others. And then John got upset that Sam wasn't falling in line, but also is kind of proud of Sam for fighting against it. He has very little respect for Dean. Dean's capable and everything, but Dean kind of just, you know, buckles under and takes whatever is um, tossed on him and makes do. And he is actually way smarter than we ever give him credit for. Like he he creates his EMF readers. He is very well read. He like knows Yvonneget and is able to go into those different details. He has this very weird hodgepodge upbringing that is him basically trying to raise himself while raising Sammy, while also appeasing their father and surviving. So it's fascinating. And the the show never really deep dives into this stuff. They always throw us little crumbs and the fandom is like, yes, more delicious. We will dissect this for years. <laughs> and and we have. And we have. That's like the difference where the, the writers thought we were writing this for like men. They're like, this is going to be a popular show with men. And then they go to a convention and it's 95% women. And they're like, what? What? Oh, is it because they're handsome, attractive men? I mean, kind of, but also because we're able to project ourselves into these scenarios without having the expectations of being a female. You know, you're like, I cast as my Ken. I really have a lot in common with Dean. I really, really like Bobby. They they have a very bad habit of killing off female characters or trying to make the characters have a really weird sexual relationship, which feels forced with our deeper understanding of those characters. But they're like, yeah, we're going to throw this character in there. Oh, you like them too much? We're going to kill them. 
So, like, Charlie. Charlie is an amazing character. The worst off-screen death. Oh, I mean, it wasn't even off-screen. There's a tub right there. She's dead. No, but she was killed off-screen. Yeah, yes. Like, literally, like that, when they walk in and find her dead, ripped my heart out. I was very close to just giving up. I'm like, I don't want to watch this show anymore. Because Felicia Day's Charlie was my favorite character on there. My favorite female character on there. And I was so upset because of what they did to so many other female characters Mm -hmm. previously. Not just... Not just the friendlies, but even the the demons. Mm-hmm. Like I the was... way they handled them is all messed up because I believe that they they are going from the trope of how can a female's pain be used to motivate a male. They're mm-hmm. fridging these characters, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with that phrase, but women in refrigerators is actually a website that tracks the behavior where examples in superhero comics and in TV shows where female characters are affected by injury, raped, thrown into a refrigerator, any of these types of things that is literally just designed to motivate or anger or like advance the character arc of the male characters. So call back to the earlier on, but that's what they are doing in these cases where they're like, oh, okay, you have got a bond with this character now we need to kill them off because then you're going to be motivated because they don't want to have a healthy relationship they they can't imagine the <laughs> the the possibility of these characters being just as defined and actualized as the male characters mm-hmm. they they do such a good job of building out these interesting male characters that are flawed and don't have to be a certain way and then the female characters are like they need to be like this like dude it's not that hard to write women as people they are people you know what would be really helpful maybe if you talked to a woman once in a while that'd be great mm-hmm ask them for their opinion, maybe get some like feedback. Maybe then we wouldn't have the situation where we have this fabulous collection of women written by men. (laughs) Oh God. But specifically talk to talk with women, not talk at a woman. (laughs) That is, that is a key point. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That is very true because it cannot be, just you know talking at a woman or observing them like they are wild animals and trying to infer what they're doing Mm, this mystery and Um, actually that that whole like talking at versus talking to that actually brings up a great like i the last movie that i have on my list which is george of the jungle yet another (laughs) brendan fraser film of course Uh, because yes but like that that's actually a great movie because i i literally i found it and i watched it yesterday to remind myself because it has been a while since i've seen it but george of the jungle it's kind of george's story but it's also kind of ursula's story ursula stanhope played by leslie mann so you're literally seeing the movie start from her perspective as she's wandering through the jungle in africa a place where she clearly wanted to be. She has planned and paid to be on this jungle excursion with the porters that she respects. And then in comes her, her fiancé, played by Thomas Hayden Church, who is perfect at playing just a complete asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god. But if you compare the two potential suitors that she has, you have 
Lyle Vandergroot, played by Thomas Hayden Church, who is rich, just like she is, who constantly is trying to impress with presentations of his wealth, his social standing, forceful proclamations of love, and all while being condescending, rude, impatient, and dismissive of literally everything that she says. Everything that she says, everything that she does, everything that she wants, he says, no, no, you don't know what you're thinking because I know what's best for you. Mm-hmm. That's that's the one one suitor. That's the one that her family wants her to be with. That's the one that society wants her to be with. And then along swinging in comes George, Brendan Fraser. Hello. but they do a good job of like in this case they aren't romanticizing that first suitor they're showing like this is these are all the things that are wrong look at them when he comes in she literally starts like her whole body jerks and she's lyle oh my god what are you doing here you know she's serious she's almost like it it's almost portrayed like she was trying to get away from him and then he finds her and says, oh, here, let's go. We need to get out of here. Here's, I'm, I'm booking a reservation at the, the Hilton. We'll be there in like a couple of hours. And she's like, I don't want to go. Like, I wanted to be here. I'm on like a safari. I wanted to do this. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. Let's book the hotel. And it's just, it's really awful how he treats her and they're supposedly engaged. It's like she's literally trying to escape him before coming back home. And in comes George. And yes, he is shown like powerful and strong and muscly and everything. Yes, he is very much sexualized just in the look of him because, mm. and he's also sort of revered as a power figure because again, he is strong he is wearing only a loincloth, aka butt flap, in the movie. But he's also goofy. He like he does not have perfect control over his swinging. He's always like swinging into things. And he's um, also that born sexy yesterday situation. Yep. Brendan Fraser does such a good job of that. Just, he mm. does. And Cino Man, let's. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like he's every one of the tropes. Like yes. I can't. <laughs> every example. Right. It's Brendan Fraser. It's just next to Born Sexy Yesterday Man, it's just a picture of Brendan Fraser and just his doofy little smile. Yeah, a series of different photos. (laughs) Oh, God. But yes, he's just this guy who's who's gotten along in the wilderness. But what he does to Ursula is different. It's completely opposite of what Lyle does. George is kind, attentive. He's patient. He shows ursula the beauty of the jungle basically oh hello this is this is where i live here and let me take you on an elephant ride and just kind of shows her the world which is what she wanted that's what she came Mm -hmm. there for she's seeing the beauty of the jungle and he he also like hears through bongo gram oh god some of these things are really stupid but (laughs) there is there is a monkey in the jungle who is upset he goes to that monkey and brings her along with him and finds out that this little monkey is being bullied. And he goes, oh, you know what? Here's what you're going to do. And he helps the monkey. He helps the monkey solve its problem. Right. And he's showing that he's emotionally stable. Yeah. And it's he's not like, through it's not through violence or nope. domination that he's able to achieve this. Yeah. It's all through like 
small, intelligent, and emotional intelligent moves. Yes. Like he's he's doing all of these things that are very, very sensitive, very considerate, very selfless. When she ends up having to take him to the city, I believe it's it's San Francisco, he gets there, he does try his best to try and fit in with her world. He uses the shower, even though he's not really sure he likes it. He puts on a, one of her dresses. He doesn't care, <laughs> right? He puts on a dress and a little sun hat. He doesn't have social norms, yeah. Exactly. He puts on a dress and a sun hat and starts swinging off of like crosswalk signs on his way to Neiman Marcus to get like really dolled up in some nice fine suits. And yes, he does wear the hell out of those suits. <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, he wears the hell out of that dress, too. <laughs> but on, for me, like the, the scene that was the perfect example of I know female, exactly where you're going. female gaze. Is, I, is it the horse? The horse scene? Yes. Yes. With him just with oh god like running around and taming the horse playing with that horse it's that is exactly what a female finds attractive and when men are trying to determine what a woman will like they're like "Ooh, it's because george of the jungle is ripped and has his shirt off and is strong and all these things you're like no him in a white billowy shirt just showing how competent he is and how he respects another living thing and is just in that moment and we're watching him basically in a flow state interacting with that horse like <sighs> it's it's literally he is being himself he's not mm-hmm. doing he's not playing with this horse or taming this horse however you interpret it he's not playing with this horse for anybody else's gain but his own like he's literally just he's there he sees a horse and he's just interacting because he only really interacts with animals rather mm-hmm. than people. So he's just doing his thing. And the fact that that women all gather around to witness this is not just because he's super, super hot. And yes, he is super, super, super hot. Super, super hot, yes. <laughs> but it's also because they're seeing him in a genuine moment. All of the things that make Ursula and most of the female audience fall for George are moments of genuine yeah genuine emotion genuine sensitive genuine just like being himself he's not boasting he's not proclaiming anything lyle every time he's around ursula every time he's around basically any human being he's just he's puffed up his chest and he's just talking about how awesome he is you know how this is what needs to be done how we'll have caviar at the ritz you know and just like he's constantly puffing himself up in order to get the attention whereas george is just like no i'm just here i I exist (laughs) i'm doing my own thing that's that's the female gaze bit right there versus the male gaze it's it's not the projection it's not the the aspiration and the affectation it's the actual genuine truth of the emotion of the person and it's something that they can feel would be a a partner or would respect them would treat them as a person which sadly is very rare in a lot of these shows yeah you're gonna be my trophy my object my idol my angel Okay, so I'm the angel on a pedestal. What does that mean? 
Can I not make any flaws? I can't fart in front of you. Well, that's disappointing. (laughs) Yeah, right. You do realize that I also poop. No, according to some of these shows, women don't have any bodily functions, much less organs. <laughs> yeah, actually, that brings up a good point. Let's go cycling all the way back to Scarlett Johansson's uh-huh. outfit. Like, how does she pee? She has to get naked. Take the whole thing off. Yeah, yeah. Or she's yeah. doing that little thing where you have the whole thing is just caught on your feet and you're trying to get it off the feet. And so she's just trailing along a little jumpsuit. Yep. Yep. And that right there is like 100% an issue. Like a lot of a lot of fashion in particular is done for, oh God, is done for male gaze rather than yeah. female need. So because pockets. Pockets, people. Pockets, 100%. Actually, that makes me think in the the recent Disney Plus Loki TV show, they have the actress who is playing Sylvie. That is named Sophia DiMartino. So she is breastfeeding right now. And so they actually have built in to her costume zippers that will allow her to have access to breastfeed. But they are built in in such a way that the function of the costume, you wouldn't be able to tell. Like, it genuinely just looks like this is how it's supposed to be. They're just asymmetrical, just zips. Yep. And it's it's done so well because a woman thought about the costume. And it was yeah. taking into mind female need and treating them like a person who has... The, it's not just, like, access. But then part of me is also... I'm I'm jaded and I've I've just seen too much. And I'm like, the reason why they were okay with this is because boobies. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I thought about that, but I'm like, okay, it's really awesome they're doing this at the same time. Is it because it's boobies? Is that why you did this? <laughs> but, but I'm hopeful that it was just for the other reasons. But you know, things can have multiple reasons, I guess. But that's comparing to like other ones and Like, think of how excited any woman, like, whoever's listening to this, if you see a lady in a dress and you compliment her on her dress and it has pockets, the first thing she's going to do is put her hands in those pockets and go, thanks, it has pockets. And she's going to do a little twirl. A little twirl, a little dance, just be excited. (laughs) It will make her day because very few items have pockets. And we are so excited when we have pockets. I am literally wearing a dress right now that has pockets. I have my phone in a pocket. I am seated. I don't need my phone in my pocket, but it's there, so I'm using it. <laughs> I mean, ah, pockets are pockets are important, people. We would and love to just have cargo pockets on everything. On everything. But it ruins the aesthetic curves, the lines. And a guy looking at a lady and seeing that she carries things maybe more than just her dignity is is apparently off-putting i mean i think transformers is a crazy film i really actually shia labeouf and i it's one of my favorite films as well fan fiction did a great job on going in the witwicky backstories i gotta say they did not do much of it in the movie but i don't care because i live in fandom as we already know but Megan Fox's character, I mean, first of all, Megan Fox, Stone Cold Fox, freaking gorgeous. Her and Jessica's body, 
I am obsessed. I love her. And she I is actually really girl. You yeah, need to watch that. You, you will enjoy it. It's fascinating. Amanda Siegfried, Megan Fox, the power of female having empowerment over them, their own body and autonomy and, you know, being, <laughs> you know, possessed by the devil. It's fun stuff. But that, that there's one particular scene that is very much geared towards the male gaze in Transformers. But I feel they did a very good job of this because they're showing that it's from the point of view of a teenage boy who already is lusting after this girl. And so I feel like a lot of this is intentionally exaggerated. It's not reality. It's, it's Sam Witwicky vision. <laughs> It's what he's seeing. So when she is like got the the hood of the car up and the steam and her little crop top and her tiny little shorts and the sweat dripping down her belly button and your know, hair just flowing perfectly in her face, that's slow-mo basically like makes me think of those Carl's Jr. commercials when oh, the God. lady is taking a giant bite of the burger. Like none of those things really reflect the the reality it's just a lady trying to eat a burger in peace but a dude yeah. is looking at her and going ah and like the marilyn monroe going over the the, the subway grates you know and, and having her dress up. the steam going up and the the dress flying up those things aren't really reality but it's it's through that lens, that, that vision. So I know some people got really offended by having Megan Fox do that scene and were like, it's so sexual. Da, da, da. And I guess I interpreted it as, yes, it is, but it's it's how Sam Witwicky is looking at it. And so like they're letting the audience see it as well. So part of me was like, part of me is like, hey, it's fine. <laughs> it, it, it's just, it has to be from a, perspective that's intentional like it's telling an aspect of the story if it's just ubiquitous for no reason that's when i'm like why what is what was the point i don't know <laughs> yeah personally it's it's the michael bay effect i don't know how many different michael bay movies there are where the woman is just objectified like crazy yeah and his and, explosions and then the, the, the what are those yeah the light effects Pew! It literally, it's shot like a commercial. Every every single movie that I've seen by him. And yes, I know he got his start shooting commercials, specifically car commercials, which is why he likes to blow them up all the time. You can tell. Um, <laughs> but like, you can tell that he is definitely a commercial guy because of how commercial his movies are. His movies are insanely commercialized. And that, that should be something that we go into at a later date because I, I could get into that a lot. The Island pissed me off a little bit. And I love that movie, but I it pisses me off. But yes. <laughs> so that's that's basically, I guess, to sum up the male gaze versus the female gaze. We want, we want more female gaze films because they round out everything. They round out people. Mm -hmm. People are people. We are not static characters. We're not flat Stanleys. And by this, you know, I'm, we're not saying we don't want action films and we don't want the... It, you can have a female gaze action film. The Mummy is evidence of yes. this. Which I think uh, The Old Heart actually is a good film too. A good a good um, female gaze film. Oh my god, yeah, that's a good one. So good. I, I don't think I ever really covered one of the aspects of The Mummy that got me... That showed the difference with O'Connor and another protagonist. He 
at one moment is literally physically picking up Evie because she is going to put herself in danger. And he mm-hmm. picks her up without much effort, tosses her into the bedroom, tosses her onto the bed, and then leaves and closes the door and doesn't seem to have any hesitation. That right there was one of the most iconic moments for, for me where it was like, oh, so not every interaction had to be sexual. This was actually, they are literally in a dangerous moment, life or death. But if there were like romancing the stone or (laughs) if that movie was going on, the same exact thing had happened. They would have been making out for like the next 10 minutes. (laughs) I mean, it's still, it's still a power move. Yes. yes, He is saving her from himself, from herself. He he's literally trying to protect her in this moment, Mm -hmm. but still it is very much a power move where he's lifting a woman off her feet, basically taking away her autonomy to lock her in a room so that she doesn't get killed. But you know that it's coming from a, a place of respect because of his actions prior to that. Yes. Prior to that moment in the film where like she actually saves his life at one moment where he's busy loading his gun and bullets are slowly getting closer and closer to his face. And, and she so she grabs him, him and pulls him back just as the bullet hits where he would have been standing. And he's like, okay, yep, thank you for that. And and the the my favorite moment in that is when after the boat has sank, all of her stuff has been lost, her clothes, her books, her tools, and they finally make it to Hamanoptera. And he basically he steals he steals some other person's tools and brings them over to her and says, "Hey, so I know you lost your tools and everything, but here, here's I found these, you know, from our American brethren over there. I thought you might need these." And like he stumbles over his words as he's he's saying these things. Like you can tell that he's doing this because, like, oh. Pretty girl must get her shiny rock. <laughs> but he gets he doesn't get her something that is useless. He literally gets her something that she needs because he's paid attention. Exactly. He knows he, he's res- he's respectful. He sees her of as her. a person. Yes. And that's the biggest thing. He sees her as a person from moment one. He yeah. doesn't just see her as a hot piece of ass. I mean, he did see her as a hot piece of ass from moment one because he grabbed her and kissed her. But then he started seeing her as a person. <laughs> like, well, okay. There's, there's, there is character growth and improvement. And like they, they went to that point. That's one of the things where like he grabs her, kisses her, and they have that whole thing. That wasn't because it was her in particular. It was because it was a woman. And then it became. And he was about to die. Yes. Yes. He just wanted to kiss before he died. And then it became because of her in particular. And that is just. uh, That's why I like that movie so much. But that's. That's that's one of those things where it's male gaze, female gaze. And it, it gets a little ephemeral. It's difficult to define because you can point at one thing and from one perspective, it is male gaze. But if you interpret it a certain way, it could be female gaze. And we can put as much meaning as we want into anything as viewers. We can interpret things. We can do as the English teachers said. The the door was blue because they were depressed. (laughs) No, they just like blue. But it's it's as much interpretation or as little as you want, which is why if you are watching something and you like aspects of it and you don't like the way the 
creators ended it, I recommend fan fiction. <laughs> mm. And if you don't like what anyone else has written, write your own. Mm-hmm. Somebody yeah. will read it. <laughs> Embrace the creativity. Doesn't matter if you're a good or a bad writer. Just do it. Yeah. Because I mean, let the two of us. We write. We write a lot. We are very creative people. And so we like to foster the creativity in others and just just embrace it. I have a good friend who has always wanted to write things, but she feels that she can't because she doesn't think that she's a good enough writer. And I'm like, the stories, the, the ideas that you have are good enough. Just do it. Just sit down and write some ideas down, even if they're they're just ideas, just like little random plot points. Just do it. Get it down on paper and say, like, look, here's what I thought somebody will definitely appreciate absolutely so i think i'm loving to see the world has more female gaze coming into it i love that it's becoming more talked about more common we're having more and more films that are normalizing this and it's not just like a a rom-com which i objectively don't like as a female gaze most of the time but i do enjoy that we're seeing this so it's in films that are interesting to any gender to every group that is going to be able to access this and see the characters as people representing these the women aren't flawless they aren't wearing makeup waking up with their eyes perfectly done they are grummy grimy and they look like normal people which is sad that it's so unusual and that we're we're actually being able to have more of this representation so people aren't coming in with unrealistic expectations and i know we just thought of oh. i just thought of a really great i just thought of a really great example that's a, a show that's on amazon prime the marvelous mrs Maisel. yes <laughs> i thought so i won't too. go into it because let me just i'm just gonna say you need to watch it if you have amazon prime definitely watch it it is so good and that is definitely a female gaze mm-hmm. tv show because you are seeing everything from her perspective from Mrs. Maisel's perspective, as well as some other perspectives at the same time, but it's predominantly her. But that first episode um, of makeup. Oh my God. The makeup is, is important. It's yeah. like huge. She goes to bed all like with her hair and everything in the little bun and whatnot in the, in the, the bonnet. And as soon as she knows that her husband is asleep, she gets up, goes to the bathroom takes off her fake eyelashes, takes off her makeup, puts on the cold cream and everything, Mm -hmm. and then finally goes to sleep. And then she has an alarm set for herself to get up early in the morning, go back in, redo her makeup, get her hair all ready to go, and then gets back into bed and pretends that she's waking up at the same time as him. Yep. And there's always this illusion that she is creating and maintaining, and he doesn't know how she looks without makeup how freaking crazy is that like that they've they've been married they have children that no no freaking clue like the she's literally playing to the male gaze Mm -hmm. the entire time but we see it from the female gaze perspective yeah all because we're seeing exactly Mm -hmm. there's a point towards the the middle of the first and toward the end of the first season it's been a bit where like he is after they have a little bit of a reconciliation she's like you don't understand when we were dating i used to unhook every other hook so that it would be easier for you to take off Uh uh-huh 
And he's like, what? No, I could do this. And then he's struggling <laughs> for like the next couple of minutes. But then he feels triumph when he finally gets it off of her. And then later on, when they're laying together and he's like, he's he's got his finger running over the welts and indentations and the red lines all over her body left from these undergarments. They're torture devices. And he's like, how long does it take for the redness to go away? Like, what is this all, something that always happens? And she's like, yeah, but I usually powder them so you don't see them. Like, yeah. that's that's a huge point. Like, in the 50s and 60s, those that oh, those undergarments were just plain. They were like Iron Maidens, man. Mm-hmm. They're awful. I mean, the, the ones we have now are better, but they still aren't still great. great. I mean, the amount of people, of women, who during the the global panorama have been like, yeah, I'm just going to boycott bras. That, <laughs> like, we can't go back to the office. I haven't worn a bra in nine months. Like, come on. Ah, but yes, female gaze, male gaze. So now that we're normalizing it and making it so that uh, everyone is going to be able to see these things, I'm, I'm liking that. I think it's going to be creating a more inclusive world, different perspectives. I also want to say we have been talking about the male gaze and the female gaze this whole time. I know that that can sometimes seem as to be gender exclusive, but it is not. It is not intended to be talking about men, women, non-binary, any uh, other aspect of that spectrum. It's purely the societal definition that we see that we tried to explain through the actual visuals on the films and how the stories play out so hopefully that came across and if you guys have any feedback for us on these or other examples of female gaze really well done main male characters interesting female characters something we haven't seen i would love to hear it yeah and we do now have an email address we don't really have a social presence yet. No. Um, we 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 will. I mean, I'm going to rely heavily on Kelly to manage this stuff because she's the one who has experience. I can come up with ideas, <laughs> but... Uh... <laughs> um... <laughs> We'll see how successful this is. But if you do want to reach out to us, you can at chronicmediaconsumption at gmail.com. Yep. We will be changing things over to like actual social media stuff eventually. I'm not sure if we're going to have a TikTok necessarily, but we'll I'll probably create a Twitter account. God, I don't even use my own Twitter account that much. Maybe not. I don't know. Instagram, Facebook. Eh. I at least my own TikTok account will definitely be used to advertise this 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 podcast. I don't know, man. It's starting to get it's starting to get real. It is. It is. <laughs> I'm I'm loving it and I'm also like we're putting ourselves out there and I mean I am a avid user of the internet as most people are and I see trolls and I see angry people and no matter what somebody says somebody's always going to be angry at you so we're just we're preparing ourselves girding our loins yeah so again it would be really cool to to hear from you guys like Michelle said chronicmediaconsumption at gmail.com. Yeah, let us know if you have any ideas, if you have any feedback. We'll try to take it into account. Please don't troll my emotions. Don't troll <laughs> my emotions. Oh, it sounds like a song. <laughs> if you have any any praise, please send it on. We like serotonin. Serotonin is good and in dire need these days. But yeah, thank you for joining us on this episode of Chronic Media Consumption. 
we will see you again in the next episode. Yeah. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about yet, but I'm sure we'll have something great. As always, I am Michelle. And I am Kelly. Thank you and bye bye <laughs>